0: Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles open up to uh, Zephaniah, Uh, we've been doing a series that uh, maybe is a little odd for some of you in the Old Testament book of Zephaniah. It's just about three books uh, left of Matthew. And uh, I remember a seminary professor saying one time that all scripture is inspired, but not all scripture is equally inspiring. And uh, so some of you might have been, why, what are we doing in Zephaniah? Um, we're looking at uh, the the day of the Lord. We're looking at a difficult subject in Scripture, God's judgment. And in doing that, approaching Easter uh, with uh, the blood of Christ and what saves us, and then moving into a study in Revelation. And so this was just kind of setting the stage. And so in Zephaniah, these three short chapters, God starts off in chapter 1 with this really wrath-oriented vision of destruction, flood-type imagery. And then at the end of chapter three next week, beautiful uh, new heavens, new earth type of picture. And so we have the bookends of history in three short chapters. And so we looked at in chapter one that we live with the end in mind. In, In other words, knowing as God has revealed his coming and his destruction of those who oppose him We live, both as a church and individually, with this end in mind. And then uh, we moved into this idea of seeking the Lord. Uh, The the judgment came into a call for us to seek the Lord in chapters 2, verse 3 and 4. And it was just beautiful words. Uh, He says, before the decree takes effect, chapter 2, verse 2, before the day passes away like chaff, Before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of his anger. So the call, in light of what is to come, to seek the Lord. And then last week, as Zephaniah said, took a, an aim at the nations around them. He went to the west and to the east and to the south and to the north. And we talked about the accountability of the nations and their responsibility to, uh, uh, their opportunity to respond and our responsibility to share with them. So we jump into chapter 3, and we're going to do the first uh, eight verses. And then next week, um, we're going we're gonna to jump into just, we probably should have taken two weeks on next week, but it's just, there's so much good stuff that's coming here. So pick it up with me in chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to to her who is rebellious and defiled. Let me just remind you last week, right? Zephaniah looks over to the west and he shows judgment on those nations and the east and those nations and to the south and to the north. Now he's zeroing in on Jerusalem. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous, he does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust know no shame. I've cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. God is saying, look at what I did to the nations. I thought this would get your attention. You will accept a correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I've appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, To pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. Now, that sounds so dark right there. But notice verse 9, we get here next week, but let me just give you a little teaser. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. So there's some hope coming next week. I'm just giving you a little little teaser there. But this week, talking about the judgment of Jerusalem, and then he, he, in the second part, moves into a judgment on the nations, which was really supposed to grab Jerusalem's attention. So let's look at this judgment and hope for Jerusalem in the first five verses. First of all, Zephaniah clearly spells out at least part of what her failure is. Her failure is to conform to the word of God. Verse 2, she listens to no voice. Who is the voice here? It's the voice of God. And, and Jerusalem, the, the inhabitants, the nation, refuses to conform to the word of God. And what we see in the prophets is that they continue to conform to the nations around them. They continue to act like the other nations. How are they supposed to act? Deuteronomy chapter five, Moses said to them, and Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Here's the pattern in God's word, that we should hear God's word. We need to hear it. Now, somebody needs to preach it, whether we need to read it from God's word, but we we need to hear it. And then it's interesting, you, you think that the next thing is natural, but not only you to hear it, but you got to learn it. you got to listen to it, and you've got to learn what God's word says. And then very simple, you hear, you learn, and what you want your kids to do is what? Do it. You want them to do it. I know you heard me. I know we've talked about this before, and that's what God is saying to Jerusalem. You're not hearing me. You're not conforming to my word. So look at the poetry again. The first line, she listens to no voice. Second, she accepts no correction. So not only, they they don't conform to it. um, They don't listen to it. They don't accept that correction. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. There's a part in there where they Failure to have fellowship with God. She does not draw near to God. So we have here the, the, the failure of them to draw in, not just to listen, but to draw in with relationship with God. Jerusalem was supposed to be the place where God's people got with God's presence. And they're failing to live in this fellowship with God. You know, when we read sometimes this God of the Old Testament, he seems scary. He's talking about judgment. But the whole heart of Zephaniah here in chapter 3 is that I want to be present with you. I want to be in relationship with you, but you keep running off and doing other stuff. You're not listening to me. You're not obeying my correction. So a failure to conform to the word of God, a failure to live in fellowship with God, And then in verses three and four, he calls out specifically the leaders and their failure to serve. And if you look at verses three and four, notice the prophets, priests, um, I'm sorry, officials and judges, prophets and priests, he's calling out the leadership here. And, And when he gives these pictures, they are, they're roaring lions. Man, I'm telling you, when you show up to to see the judge or the official. You don't want a roaring lion. They're evening wolves. Notice they don't leave anything. They're, they're taking advantage of the people. They're not serving the people. The priests perframe what is holy. They do violence to the law. And so there's some lessons that we can learn. It's the opposite of what Jerusalem is doing. We need to be attentive to the word of God. You know, this is a, historically conservative, Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church. And I appreciate the things that you say and the encouragement you give about teaching. And I, I want to be faithful in teaching the Word of God. But I need to say to you as your shepherd, you also need to be faithful in listening. It's not enough that you're in a church, maybe that you like the preaching. We have to do something with it. We need to be attentive to the word of God. We need to, not, not the word of Dave, the word of God. We need to listen, right? We need to, we need to begin to understand and learn, and we need to do it. That's, that's a hard process. And so he is, that's, the same lesson is for us. We have to be attentive to the word of God. And here's one way you can be attentive to the Word of God here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church. Beyond Sunday morning, you should be reading the Word of God. That's why we put the reading schedule out there. So we have something we can talk about, we can dig into. Second, we need to be responsive to God's correction. God's judgment upon Jerusalem is she accepts no correction. Nobody likes to be told they were wrong. Nobody wants to be called out. But sometimes that happens. Our friends say something to us. The church, the word of God says something to us. Preaching says something to us. Or sometimes just in our heart. We don't like that feeling. And what we've learned to do, what Jerusalem learned to do over the years, is ignore that feeling. Right? We do something wrong, we feel guilty. Man, I don't like that feeling. We do something wrong, But we haven't repented. We feel a little less guilty. We do it again. We feel a little less guilty. And pretty soon we stop feeling something. That's not a good sign. The spirit within us convicts us of sin. We need to be responsive to it. And then be reliant on the Lord. She does not trust in the Lord. Man, I know I quote the verse all the time. It's just been kind of a life verse for me. Because I just, I love Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because the next line is what? Lean not on your own understanding. Boy, that just, the trust in the Lord part, yeah. The leaning not on your own understanding part. That's challenging. We're called to trust in the Lord. and I, I'm going to say we, we live in this upside down world. The way that God does things is often counterintuitive to the way that we live life and experience things. And so we need to be reliant on the Lord and then to be in fellowship with him, to draw near to him. That's our call this morning. By way of warning, rebellious or in fellowship with God? We could also look at leadership properly leveraged. Again, the opposite of verses three and four. It should be exercised according to the word of God, right? They're, They're failing to listen to that. It should be characterized by serving others. And it should exemplify God's character. You know, as we've been going through uh, this series, and, and Rich and I talk in the hall about what's coming, and we talk on uh, Monday or Wednesdays with the, with the Q&A time as we're talking about this. And when, you first, when we first started chapter one, I just said, oh, I said, Rich, there's not much meat on the bone, right? I mean, it's, there's so much judgment in there. And then chapter 2, I'm like, chapter 2, you know, we had those seek the Lord. That was really good stuff. And then the rest of chapter 2, it was, it, you know, it was tough. But as we come into chapter 3, I, I told Rich as I walked down the, the hall this week, I said, there's plenty of meat on the bone this week. There's just so much good stuff in chapter 3 that we, we, just, we could spend more than one sermon on each of these things. Now, look at verse 5. We have this oppressing city. We have those oppressing officials. And then it says, the Lord within her. Notice we've been using this her for Jerusalem, the city, the the people of Judah. The Lord is within her. Uh, The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust know no shame. There's hope in the presence of the Lord. And I think overarching in this verse is this idea that Yahweh is present. He is near. He's within her. And so what is our hope in the midst as we approach the day of the Lord, as we have challenges in our community, as we have challenges in our church, as we have challenges in our family? What's our hope in? Our hope is in the character of God. Our hope is in who he is. The Lord within her is what? Righteous. That's who God is. It's his character. And because he's righteous, he does know injustice. Our hope is in God's conduct. The way that he is going to treat us is just. Now that's hard to swallow in a moment when we've just looked at chapters one and two, isn't it? Because in his judgment, he is just. In his mercy, he is just. And so we have hope in God's character. We have hope in God's conduct. We have hope in God's wisdom. Every morning, he shows forth his justice or he he speaks his justice. His wisdom, what, what he is doing is near to us. And it's every morning, it's each dawn, it doesn't fail. And so when we feel like we're in this upside down world where everything is chaotic, where we're wondering, is this it, is the next pandemic, is the next thing that comes through government, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that gets you going, we go, man, it seems like it's out of control. What is Zephaniah saying? Every morning he shows forth justice, every dawn he does not fail. We have hope in the consistency of who God is. God is consistent. We are not. But he is consistent. So we hope in the character of God, for he is near. We hope in his conduct, for he is near. We hope in his wisdom, for he is near. We hope in his consistency, for he is near. Maybe hope is the wrong word. We have faith. In his character. We have faith in his conduct. We have faith in his wisdom. We have faith in his consistency. Now there's something kind of interesting. We talked about in the first sermon. We talked about that this is written in Hebrew poetry. And we can't always see all the different things that are going on in this Hebrew poetry. And Zephaniah is incredible in this. And so let me just look at this chart here. We can kind of map out what he is doing. He talks about this this destruction of the city, and he reverses it with God's character. In other words, in the city, they're not listening. But with God, he was speaking, and he was always present. They don't accept correction, but God makes justice known. They do not trust in the Lord, but God is totally trustworthy in his character. They don't draw near, but he was always present. And Zephaniah is doing something with the Hebrew poetry here in a, in a, in a form that it was known to them. In fact, he does it again with the leaders. He repeats the same thing. With the leaders, they failed in their duty, but he was speaking and always present. They were selfish judge. He renders right decisions. The prophets were treacherous. He is just. The prophets profane the holy. He is righteous. And so the Hebrew poetry is contrasting the character of God with the character of his people. And folks, listen, there's a lesson for us here. You do not compare your character and who you are with the person sitting next to you or the person sitting across the pew. You don't look and say, well, I think I'm doing better than they are. I have my act better than they are. I'm doing better than they are. No, we stand before who? We stand before God. And so we're all in the same place, no matter where we are in our own living, we all stand before God and we go, "Uh uh-oh. I don't stand before that. I don't match up to that. We all fall short. So he goes now in verse 6, again with this divine devastation. I have cut off the nations. Their battlements are in ruin. I've laid waste their streets that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an habitation. We notice in here, he's got got nations. He's got the passerbys walking in the city. We've got cities, inhabitants. I mean, it's all gone. He's saying, look around you. Look what I've done to other nations. And then he comes back to his divine disappointment in Jerusalem. I said, surely they'll fear me. Like, surely this would get their attention. Why is God disappointed? Because of their lack of relationship. That idea of fearing God, it's so fun. I love to talk to my students about this one. What does it mean to fear God? Because it just depends on kind of where you are in your upbringing. We need to be afraid of God. We We need to fear him. And then the other one, well, it just means to respect. It just means to honor And when you look at the the context of the fear of God throughout Scripture, the problem is you're both right. Right? It does mean to to respect and honor. But it also means, Jesus said, don't just fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the body and soul. That's a fear. That wasn't meant to go, hey, show me some respect. That was meant to get your attention. And the idea of fearing the Lord in Scripture, it's that parental relationship. It's a healthy fear of the parental figure in a good way. Not a, oh no, he's going to strike me, but in a way that I want to live in a way that honors him, and yet I don't want to disappoint him. And so God's disappointment is that they're not in relationship with him. They continue to have a lack of response. He says it again, you uh, said surely you will fear me. you will accept my correction. What is you're not again you're not responding to my correction. And you continue. You continue to be eager to be evil. So again we have this, this dark judgment in verses 6 and 7. And then verse eight is the summarization again, okay? We had verses uh, one, two, and three, and four, and then five summarized kind of was the main point. And then we have six, seven, eight is this big summary. So let's read it again. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, All my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth will be consumed. Again, it's dark, but we have some hope coming in the next verse. Something kind of interesting to me, this is the the Bible nerd in me. According to the Masoretic uh, scholars, uh, verse 8 is the only verse in the Old Testament that contains every single Hebrew letter in the alphabet, even some of the minor ones. And you, first of all, like, who figures that stuff out, right? Like somebody, this was before computers they figured this out, okay? So first of all, wow. But I, I, you say accidentally, intentionally, and I, I would say this. When you look at verse 8, what it's summarizing, and we think of Hebrew poetry, Zephaniah is trying to encompass completeness. It's all there. And he does it in direct words, he does it in Hebrew poetry, and it's all meant to get your attention. Because we need to live with the end in mind, for we will all stand before God and give an account. But there is within this, this divine wrath that is being poured out, Um. And then this divine hope, wait for the Lord. Now, this whole completion here of this divine wrath, it's not in this idea of total destruction. What he is doing is, and when we see this, we see this, it's very complete language, okay? I just spelled that out. But we still have a remnant. We still have those that God is saving through this. We still have verse nine, praise God. And so what is the purpose of God's wrath. It's purification. It's purification. God is judging. He's putting the fire on so that his church, his people may be pure. When we read this kind of stuff, I pictured some people just saying, man, what does God want from me? God, what do you want sometimes we, some people just get overwhelmed with this idea that God is going to judge sin. God, what do you want? God wants to be in relationship with you. Please hear that. God wants to be in relationship with you. In the garden, he places Adam and Eve and he's, they're going to be his, his image bearers for the earth. And, and they walked with him in the cool of the evening. They were, God was, what, he, what he wants is relationship with us. That relationship has been corrupted because of the fall. And all of this, God's presence in Jerusalem, God's calling Israel, God's sending Jesus, all of this is so that God who created you might be in relationship with you. He wants to be near you. You know, as we think about this idea of being in relationship with God, and uh, I was thinking of some of the reading that we've been doing, um, if you're keeping up on the New Testament reading, I think we're in Exodus and John. Is that right? Okay, make sure, because I've been doing the full thing, so i to make sure. And I was just thinking through this morning in this first few chapters that we've read in John this week, And I just want to pick three stories from from our reading this week to share the gospel. You know, God wants to be present with us. So what did he do? The word became flesh. The whole point of, of John's beautiful introductory there is that the God who created you took on flesh and dwelt among us. He stepped down. He pursued us because he wants to be in relationship with us. We've sinned, but God became flesh. The second story is just one of my favorites. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, there's the gospel right there. This is, the, this is the Passover lamb. This is the lamb that we take to the altar. In the flesh, there's the lamb of God. There's the one lamb we need. Sacrificed for our sin. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God became flesh. John says that we knew him not. We rejected him. And yet the lamb of of God came and died for you and me. Now the third part of this gospel story and you're going to think I'm crazy is the first miracle. Okay Baptist you struggle with it. You read it this week. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into grape juice. It's right there. Man I'm telling you I've had pressure. Dave don't preach that one right? It's interesting what happens there. The text clearly states that those six jugs of water were for Jewish purification. Jesus takes purification water. What is it? It's the, it's the water that every Jew went to daily to wash his hands before he ate, to go through a cleanse thing before he went into the temple or into his home or into fellowship. It was, they, were, they were constantly in this water. We need to be pure. We need to be pure. Why? Because I'm unpure. And Jesus takes that water and he turns it into wine. Sorry, folks. And wine in the Old Testament is a sign of God's blessing and joy. He turns the water of purification into joy. God became flesh. The Lamb of God died in our place. And the pressures of the law and our imperfections are turned to joy to the person of Jesus Christ. And God does all of that because he wants to be present with you. Now, when God goes through all of that to be present with you, it is our responsibility to submit, to be submissive to that, that we might say, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'll lean not on my own understandings. And then he wants us to experience holiness through the work of the Holy Spirit. This idea of God's people continuing not to listen, continuing not to respond to correction, and continuing to be evil, when we have Christ in us, it means that we have God's presence and that we've been made pure and we have the ability to live in Christ through the Holy Spirit, to become who he wants us to become. This story is turned into a story of joy because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to dig into your word this morning. And I do pray, God, that we would listen, that we would hear your word. God, that we would be responsive. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to bow their knee to you. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to confess sin. Maybe there's somebody here that needs to stop doing what they're doing and follow Jesus. May we be responsive. And God as a church may we do what you've called us to do. That we be image bearers. That we would be gospel centered. Making disciples for the glory of God. May we be hearers and doers of your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.